back to another episode of Incheck with Fintech. This week, we are delighted to be joined by Claudio Wilhelmer, Fintech advisor, founder, and CCO at Doc Financial, a tech company providing a leading-edge cloud-native banking-as-a-service platform which offers first-class embedded finance experiences. Claudio has over 10 years of experience within the fintech space, working with industry-leading companies such as Revolut, N26, Mozo, and many others. Enjoy listening. To get right into the thick of things, uh, Claudio, when I ask you what is that one thing that determined your career, what would you say? Well, actually, there are a couple of, but I would say uh, joining Revolut. So in 2017, I joined Revolut and it definitely changed my perspective and the way of working because I was, as you know, I was born and raised in Austria. I had a very typical, let's say, Austrian-German mindset and uh, it was really good to join uh, yeah, Revolut in the UK because the way how they work and the way how they think and how, how they build businesses is definitely different than uh, what I have seen and I've learned before. And that, I think, was uh, yeah, a milestone for me, for my personal uh, career. Yeah. Uh, can you Give a bit more meat on the bone in terms of what is a typical Austrian mindset versus the maybe Revolut mindset. Yeah, actually, you know, it's like uh, everything has to follow a plan. And uh, if you're quicker or faster than what you have actually planned, uh, then you still follow the plan. So let's say you can launch four weeks earlier because you have done all the jobs and you are ready to launch. Then a typical Austrian or or German would still say, okay, let's follow the plan. We are launching whatever mid of, I don't know, September. But if you're ready mid of August, why not launching mid of August? That's a thing that, you know, the startup world, very, very, very important. And I can also give you one example. When uh, I was uh, joining Revolut, I mean, of course, it was super exciting because I was in London and, um, you know, like in Canary Wharf, then we had our office and it was one big office. So there were not rooms. It was just one big office, everyone inside. And at that time, it was still a small company, like 50 people, some somewhere around 50. And uh, everything was quite not relaxed. I mean, it was super fast paced. But, um, you know, I had some, let's say in my mindset, some things where I said, that's not going to work. That can't work. That's not going to happen. And, uh, and I think it was the first day. So we went downstairs to drink a beer with Nikolai, the founder of uh, Revolut, because this was the typical way, you know, like we started early, we worked, we got some nice time together, but then we continued to work. And I was talking to him and I said, this is not going to happen and this is not going to work. <laughs> Small things like, for example, changing some designs of the MasterCard, you know, like on the back of the MasterCard, where typical banks had all those legal texts and all those, let's say, overloaded um, yeah, designs. And I said, oh, that there is a, there's a rule for that, that there's a rule for that. And he said, Claudio, just wait two or three weeks and you will see what's possible. And I have to say, um, I was able to see um, firsthand what is possible if you have the, 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 the right uh, mindset and the right uh, attitude to change things, to develop things. And that Revolut, it was possible. We had a very clean back of the cart. So it was, um, there was no mandatory stuff uh, left. Yeah. That's where it all started and look where they are now, right? Conquering the world. Uh, absolutely. Crazy story. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So how is it? Because, I mean, since Revolut, you've founded uh, or co- and, and co-founded three companies, right? How have you used those learnings within your kind of entrepreneurial career? 
yeah, I would say I was always thinking and knowing that I want to found my own companies because, you know, I cannot be happy in a nine to five job. So I studied law, but this was just for a very, I would say, yeah, um, uh, yeah, just a logical reason because, you know, you have some nice education or so, but then you have to find your way. And I did definitely know that I don't want to become a lawyer or anything like this because that wouldn't fit to my character. And so I joined um, next to my study a company, which is a mobile payment company. And at that time, back in 2013, just, I mean, I recently turned 33 and I just realized that I'm now spending a decade in the fintech world. As I always say, you know, I speak three languages, English, German, and fintech. And uh, that's definitely my home turf. So that became my home turf where I founded all my companies. And I would say, uh, you know, I have seen lots of stuff, well, everything like from the highs and the lows, really like uh, I can talk about, uh, I can tell you stories about how to, you know, close a company and how to, uh, yeah, get things uh, somehow cleaned up again. But I can also tell you stories of selling a company. So there has everything has happened in the last 10 years, what you can imagine. And I would say, yeah, um, all the way down the road. Um, yeah, I think FinTech has become my, my, yeah, my, my home. Yeah. And that's where I founded my companies. Yeah. Interesting. Because you now are the co-founder and CEO of Paydora, right? And we're talking on this podcast for different reasons, but one of which the recent developments within Paydora. Um, for people who are listening to this episode who don't know Paydora, um, as well as the exciting stuff that is going on, can you give a bit of insights? Yes, of course. So uh, Pidora is uh, a fintech company. So actually, we always say we make embedded finance easy. And the reason for this is also um, a little bit of my history, because I have founded a couple of companies, but also consulted lots of companies and also worked inside of these companies. And all of them had the same goal. You know, they wanted to launch a financial product. And the way how that worked in the past is definitely, you know, you have to find either a bank who's providing the license and the API. So I can just say that a typical bank is not ready for this kind of business, you know, because they don't talk about APIs and they don't talk about license, passporting and whatsoever. So for them, it's more about their core business. So that's definitely the wrong address. And that's also what I experienced with my first company because I was looking for the right partner and all of the, the people I approached. And I mean, at that time, my network wasn't that established as today, but they just said, okay, we can't, we can't do it. And the main reason was always because of legal compliance, all, you know, the things where banks are um, yeah, used to. And at some point there was some development in the market called banking as a service. So this is also like, I would say the time where I'd have been in the industry now, it, it evolved to pretty much at the same time when I started called banking as a service. I mean, you probably know all of these companies providing APIs and license to uh, companies which want to build their own solution. So they always call themselves a tech company with a license and not a licensed entity with some somehow some tech. So that's what what's a bank probably is, you know, most of the time. And um, what I did is I actually, you know, when I started my first, um, when I actually worked for the first company, I learned a lot of things, you know, how things work. And I thought like, I can do that too. So I can found my own company. Um, so there was a stint in between where I worked for Red Bull and at Red Bull, I met my first co-founder and um, my first co-founder and I, so we just said, said, okay, let's do something like a challenger bank. So in the beginning, we started out as a, let's say mobile wallet. So something like at that time, you know, mobile payment was a big thing. So, um, you know, it was about barcode based, QR code based payment and also NFC came up, but it was way before 
before um, Apple Pay or Google Pay was arriving. So the infrastructure was even not ready. So at some point we, we pivoted our model to a challenger bank, kind of let's say N26 or also Revolut in the B2C space. And that's where we learned how hard it is to integrate with uh, the right partner. And at that time, some of these banking as a service providers already existed or just came up. And I did that in the last couple of years, a couple of times. So I've seen it not only as a founder, but also as a consultant, um, how hard it is, how long it can take to bring your product live. And I talk about 12 months development time, eight, 18 months development time. And all of these learnings and in between, I have founded a couple of other companies and, and uh, every time I had the same experience um, as well in my consulting uh, time. And uh, so we said, okay, this has to be easier because we did see that there is lots of demand of companies which are actually uh, trying to offer financial products, but they don't want to become neither regulated nor uh, a FitTech itself. And that's actually why we founded um, Paydora. And um, Paydora is more or less uh, infrastructure uh, from a legal side, compliance side, but also technical side, which allows companies with existing customer bases to launch uh, their own solution, maybe an account or a card as a standalone product or a combination of that. In the wider sense, it's always about payment um, in, in their ecosystem. And we have a couple of nice uh, customers already. And the recent development is that we have co-founded this company together with uh, Doc Financial. So banking as a service provider from Munich. Uh, actually founded by the guy who also founded Solaris Bank. And um, together with him and the team, we co-founded uh, Pedora in 2022. And because we did some quite nice progress, so we had some nice progress uh, regarding the product, but also especially about the pipeline, so our sales pipeline and a couple of nice, I would say, uh, yeah, leads and prospects, which went live over the last few weeks and months. We just said, okay, it makes sense to put things together, to join forces. And so our main shareholder, Doc Financial, uh, recently acquired the entire company, which also brings me now into a new role. So actually I'm now the CCO, so Chief Commercial Officer of Doc Financial, overseeing the entire sales and marketing uh, efforts of uh, the Doc Financial Group. And that's to shortly um, yeah, summarize my, my career so far. That's exciting. So basically by experiencing firsthand how difficult it is to launch financial products, you decided, okay, I need to find a company, found, start a company that can help maybe myself in the future, but definitely other uh, businesses to, to launch this. And that was when Pedora was born back in 22, yeah? Yeah, so I had actually two problems. So the first problem was, um, I would say in my consulting time, you know, I always had the same uh, task finding the right banking as a service provider. But in the end, the problem was that you had to do this, the whole development on your own. So I was the consultant, I, I, I knew how, how it works, but still in these companies, um, somebody had to uh, yeah, prepare the resources. So, you know, internal development resources, product management, uh, marketing and stuff like this. And this was always the critical thing because many of the projects, some of them went like, but also some of them just didn't make it over, let's say the finishing line because people said, okay, ooh, we didn't know that it's that complex. So that's why we actually got a consultant to explain us how, how it works. And once I explained it, they just said, okay, that's a bit too complex for us. We don't want to become such, let's say, uh, expert in the fintech world. And so many of these projects simply didn't work. So I said, okay, we need to somehow do something where we provide those infrastructure to companies which just want to build these solutions, uh, yeah, launch these solutions from scratch, but not build these solutions. And at the same time, I founded a company which was called Number X. So actually a bully digital credit card 
um, for the B2C, but also from the plan as a B2B model. And this infrastructure perfectly fitted into this strategy. So what we did is we took that basis. So first we actually sold our company number X to, um, to Doc Financial. And we said, okay, let's put something new, you know, let's build something new based on our learnings of the last years. And also the founder of um, Doc Financial. So um, the guy who also founded Solaris Bank, he always wanted to do that already earlier in his career but he never had the right setup. And then things made lots of sense because the right forces came together. So we had the infrastructure and the team and he had the banking as a service uh, proposition, including the license and the tech. And so we put things together. We co-founded Pedora in 2022. And finally, we just said, okay, let's put it even further together because it makes sense. And yeah, so this is the story of the acquisition and the exits through um, uh, towards uh, Doc Financial. And the Back in service space, right? To, to talk a bit more about that. So you start in 22, you said uh, Doc Financial, one of the co-founders is also the co-founder of Solaris, which is obviously also a well-known banking as a service provider. Why do you think the banking as a service is such a big opportunity? Um, right now, it's been definitely for the last couple of years, but why do you think it continues to do so? Yeah, so um, you have to look at the market and maybe we look a little bit back. So what we see is, you know, since the fintech wave started or the waves of fintech, I always call them the waves of fintech. So there's the first wave of fintech, the second and the third wave. And the first wave was really all about, let's say there are fintechs popping up and they try to get somehow into competition with traditional banks. So they claim to do everything better, uh, cheaper, whatever, more efficient. And this is the time where companies came up like N26 Revolut and many, many others. And some of them really made it, you know, they are quite established companies today. And some of them, of course, they failed, the typical startup uh, journey. And then at some point, the second wave kicked off. And the second uh, wave uh, was really about companies um, looking for collaboration. Because, you know, in the first wave, no bank was actually willing to work with the fintechs. And the other way around, it was pretty similar. In the second wave, they just realized, okay, there might be some benefits. So we just work together. And what happens is that um, we might get their technology so we can improve our customer experience and the other way around. But this was still a bubble, you know, between banks and fintechs. And the third wave, which just, I would say, started maybe two or three years ago, um, where we actually see that there is uh, demand. Also, that at the same time, we started out to uh, to, to develop um, Number X, which was the credit card, which we uh, described before, uh, or also Pedora is that companies from outside of these industries are trying to become um, kind of a fintech uh, company without being one. So, you know, uh, because we believe that every uh, company, every major platform can become a bank without being a bank. And that's how you do it, because that the way how you do it is you just uh, are looking for the right partner who has the license and the tech. And I think that's the big opportunity. And we call this the entire market is calling this embedded finance yeah. because embedded finance um, is something where big companies, but also smaller ones. I think the most important thing is just that they have established business models with somehow, let's say, a reasonable uh, customer base and traction can add as a puzzle piece uh, embedded finance solutions to their ecosystem. And that's where we see the market. It's not like that we are typically uh, enabling, let's say, the next fintech. Uh, with having, let's say, no funding or no progress yet, you know, like uh, pre-revenue, pre-product. So we really target those companies who just want to uh, become kind of, let's say, uh, yeah, an ecosystem, including, um, yeah, financial product. Yeah, so it's a company that has a proven business model already, 
um, and wants to maybe insource um, the uh, financial part or uh, need offering financial products or offering maybe even um, uh, embedded products to their customers. Yes, so I would say it's um, existing product, existing customer base, but not necessarily from the fintech or finance world. So those companies who are completely from other, let's say, businesses such as mobility or travel or maybe also insurance. So these are some core verticals which we are focusing on. Uh, it, it can be, you know, you can think about this. Uh, there are uh, every, I, I truly believe that every company with a major, let's say, uh, product and uh, customer base can somehow become, um, yeah, the, um, provider of financial services and it's all about the infrastructure in the back end and that's what we do and i think a very important thing is why companies should do it in general you know looking into embedded finances you can easily open up uh, additional uh, revenue stream so uh, if you look at your core product and how you monetize this you can simply add another uh, let's say revenue uh, stream um, by adding financial products provided by let's say a banking as a service provider either as an api license model where you build on your own or you just take the fully service um, yeah, solution from, um, for example, from Doc. Yeah. The world's biggest, most influential gathering of the global money ecosystem, Money 2020 USA, is coming up in less than a month. With over 13,000 attendees from more than 3,000 companies, this is the only place where the entire money community, including banks, payments, tech, startups, retail, fintech, and more, come together to make the decisions that shape the industry. Grab your pass now by visiting us.money2020.com and use the code PCN250 to save an extra $250 on your ticket. In terms of use case for a specific industry, um, what is for you kind of the least obvious use case for banking as a service in terms of industry? So you mentioned insurance. To me, obvious banking as a service or embedded products work there. But what is maybe an industry where it's not so obvious until you actually know what the applicability is, then it turns out to be very obvious, if you see what I mean. Yeah, if we look at, let's say, uh, the strategic sales we do, and what I can say is there are, um, is one thing very interesting, it's the government uh, area, you know, like there are more and more use cases from, from a government perspective. Um, let me give you one example, like uh, we recently had also at Pedora the situation of uh, providing, let's say, uh, cards to uh, refugees. So we have... Uh, a German um, authority, which is working with us. Um, and uh, what they needed to do is they needed to provide liquidity quickly to uh, refugees. And the way how they do it, you know, you can't, they won't have their own developers. They won't have their um, their own, let's say, uh, fintech in-house. And they don't have the time because when that uh, thing happened, you know, like when the refugee thing happened, there was no time to develop six, 12 or 18 months in the basement. So they had to uh, go for a quick solution. And that's one of the things. Um, also social uh, money, you know, payouts of uh, yeah, uh, some social support. And lots of these things, they count into that. Of course, in the government area, sales cycles are a bit longer and it's a bit different than any other, let's say, industry. But this is one thing I think uh, where even, uh, let's say, um, these kind of uh, organizations can become somehow fintech. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, and I think if you can give that kind of experience to your consumers, uh, yeah, as weird as that sounds in relation to government organizations, but you know what I mean? I think that could also kind of um, uplift the way that people deal with these kind of products. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's all about, let's say, the infrastructure. And I mean, honestly, the use case always comes from the market. So from a platform perspective, of course, we are our agnostic. So we can handle any use case from a technical and, let's say, regulatory side, as long as within a compliance, uh, compliant work uh, frame or frame at all. But uh, if we look at, let's say, strategic sales and how we uh, get into the market and where we want to get into, I think that's one of them. Um, as I mentioned before, like finance, insurance, mobility, travel, commerce is something big for us as well. Um, you know, everything from online to offline. So like merchants and wholesale, so there are lots of use cases. And the tricky thing about this is that, you know, you need to let people know. It's not like that um, sometimes, of course, they come to you because they know what they want. But actually, we have to uh, walk around with an open eye and open ears to see where our platform could uh, deliver value. And uh, sometimes they don't even know. I mean, one example is from the travel industry where we um, yes, um, where we um, use our platform or actually they use our platform uh, for automated um, travel booking. You know, so the payment went walks through platform automated in the background and it's something like where they can increase their efficiencies internally and i think these are the use cases you know you just need to uh yeah you have to a little bit of education on the market too uh, which we need to do uh on on the sales side there i'm sure yeah do you think that if you look at the future of banking as a service or embedded finance products do you think it will uh substitute or complement to um, kind of the traditional banking or even challenger banks that are already there, right? Because picture if governmental organizations all start to uh, issue their subsidies or their money through refugees through cars, do they still need banks? Yes or no? Um, same for uh, travel organizations. Uh, do, does a consumer still need ba- still need a bank if they can work with a travel organization embedded uh, finance product directly? Um, how do you see out the future of banking as a service in that, uh, in that regard? Well, overall, I would say for banks, of course, there's always a need. I mean, the entire system, the global economy works because of banks. You know, it's not like that you can replace a bank. And even with us, you know, there's always a bank behind. You know, it's not like that we can completely replace it. But the thing is just the perception where, uh, and also let's say from a consumer's perspective and the user's perspective, where the services come from. Of course, there's a regulated world, you know, where where the offering is actually really uh, delivered from. But there is always, let's say, um, let's say it's a big company from the travel industry. And why not? You know, I would say in the first wave of BigTech, it was hard to explain that you have a bank account with a fintech, you know, a company which is not very well known. It's all about trust. Second wave did a lot to make this a little bit more easy, you know, and to understandable. And I think today it's pretty simple, you know, like uh, why not using a fintech? You know, there is no there is no clear line between, um, let's say, a typical bank and, uh, let's say, uh, ecosystem, which is offering a bank account. And it's it's very important to mention everything what happens, either it's in a bank or it's, let's say, um, for, provided by a company where a bank is behind everything is regulated, you know, it's always regulated. So there is not like that those companies can act as, let's say, a non-regulated company. There is always some regulation behind, which is also important for the market. You know, it's not like, um, uh, it's not like that there are things happening um, yeah, next to, let's say, the regulated um, uh, world. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, probably if I would have asked you dr- this during the first wave of fintech, you would have said, yes, it will replace banking no matter what. Yeah, but I would also, <laughs> also would have said uh, we need to become a bank at some point. You know, we get our own license. You know, and that's. Um, but I, I, I definitely agree. It's it's completely different than ten years ago. And if you look at the market, what has been happening? I mean, look at if you go to the supermarket. I mean, I remember when I was doing my first company, 
founding my first company, we were, we were one of the first developing an NFC solution, NFC-based payment solution. And it only worked at a couple of shops because they had to write the terminal. It only worked with a couple of Android phones because they had the right NFC chip. And it only worked with the right setup in the backend. And uh, today that's normal, you know. I was proud when at that time somebody was using our solution, you know, because it wasn't easy to find someone at the right space, at the right place, at the right time. But uh, today, if I go to the shop, you know, like using Apple Pay, Google Pay, that's just su such an enormous thing. And the next five to 10 years will show us exactly the same. And this will also um, uh, yeah, apply for all those companies which are not necessarily um, today offering these services, but tomorrow this will be uh, yeah, a, a, a normal. Yeah, you, you spoke about also uh, educating the market, right? About this banking as a service, I guess the benefits of it. What is, if you have to pick one thing, what is the one thing that people are the most surprised by when they hear about the use case for banking as a service that they didn't know before? So if you go to any merchant or to any, uh, whether it's e-commerce insurance, doesn't matter, you talk about banking as a service. I'm sure that there'll be cynical, uh, there will be cynical people within those company probably, right? That you need to convince. So yes. what is it that they're mainly then say, oh, actually Claudio, this looks super interesting. Yeah, you know, it's it, it always comes back again to, let's say, before the first wave started, because it wasn't, I mean, tell, tell somebody 15 years ago, you are what you want to start your own financial product, your own bank account or whatsoever. They would say, you're crazy. This is a regulated market. You can't tap into it. It's impossible. And still today, you know, some people know, but some people simply don't know that this is even possible. I mean, today, today's world, you can launch, let's say, your own um uh, music label, you can launch your own uh, mobile network operator, you know, it's it's easy, you know, it's uh, compared to what it was 10 or 15 years ago. And these are also some examples which we can also bring, you know, think about uh, the mobile phone industry or the mobile network operator industry. How many brands have become mobile network operators virtually, you know, they are not in tech, they are not, they are not uh, having the infrastructure, they are buying this in from somebody who has the license, who has the tech. And the same applies for, um, I would say, the banking as a service model, where you go to banks, uh, we also go to banks, but where you where you go to um, companies which want to become kind of a bank and you explain them that it's possible. And it's uh, honestly, um, it's getting, let's say easier, but uh, still uh, we need to tell people. And that's also why Bidora uh, is so, such a good example, because, you know, we can show um, actually, um, the real product, you know, how it could look like in your branding, in your ecosystem. And then, you know, um, picture is more worth than whatever, uh, talking one hour. You just show that and you say, this is possible. We can do that for you together. We can bring this life. And then, you know, in these organizations, which are not always easy because you have more people who decide about this, it's not just one person who says, let's go. Um, you need approval from the board and so on and so forth. But then you can get things moving. And once they're moving, it's getting faster. Interesting. Going back to uh, Pedora or, or Dog Financial, what do you think the pie is big enough to start another banking as service provider? Because there are already quite a few out there, right? Yeah, there are a couple of them, but I would say most of the, uh, let's say the um, banking as service providers are definitely focusing on the fintech world. And if you look at the portfolios of them, I mean, I would say, you know, fintech is not a bad thing. I mean, that's my whole term, but yeah. you know, like there, it's also, you know, you can ask how many fintechs are actually currently uh, evolving also because of the whole market situation. Either you have already established your business as a fintech, but then you are already big, you know, or you hunt for them who are a little bit, let's say, uh, more, let's say, savvy uh, in terms of um, they have their existing business. So it's, I wouldn't call it necessarily the old economy, 
But I would say we are targeting companies with established business models. Some of them are from the old economy and some of them are, of course, also uh, pretty new tech companies, but uh, beyond of, um, let's say, uh, the fintech world. And one good example here is as a, as a use case is uh, the delivery services, for example. Just imagine a delivery service. They want to pay out their drivers uh, instantly for every ride they made, you know, for they want to pay out the tips they get from the people, from the people who order the food uh, instantly. And all of these things, you know, these are the cases uh, which um, make, I think, enough space for uh, even some more banking as a service providers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and if you, you just mentioned as well, right? So you first sold number X to Doc Financial. Now you uh, sell, sell Paydora um, back to uh, Doc Financial. So it seems like a happy marriage. Why is Doc Financial such a um, good home for you, if you see what I mean? Yeah, actually, um, it's, you know, it's all about, I would say, also the story behind, because I know the people since a very, very long time. So I've seen it, you know, um, I've, I've actually uh, uh, founded a company which was running on the rails of Solaris at, at some point. And uh, at that time, uh, on the other side, at Solaris, the guy who founded actually uh, Doc Financial as well, so Marco Ventin was uh, sitting um, and uh, he was more or less my counterpart, you know. And since then, I had a very good relationship with him and we did a lot of stuff uh, together. Um, also, like you might know, for example, German business bank account Penta who was uh, acquired by Colter. So he was also the, uh, the CEO of this company. So I was able to run a couple of projects in my consulting time together with him and Penta. So, for example, I uh, launched a sum up uh, uh, collaboration. So the sum up partnership together with Penta and a couple of other things and uh, so um, I always had a close relationship to him and what we did actually in 2022 actually already in 2021 uh, we just said okay let's uh, put things together because we have infrastructure but I also tell you we didn't want to continue on let's say this side of being a fintech as number x we were, we were a fintech but we had of course to build up everything so from a market side from scratch so all the customer acquisition and so on and so forth so we so we were meeting and we said okay what can we do how can we think how can we accelerate things and so then we had this idea of providing this infrastructure to third parties you know and at that time he was founding doc financial and then things came together he said you know what we have the license and the apis and you have the let's say the, the infrastructure to the front so call it let's say the the fully service the front end and so we put things together and one of these things were actually that we said okay we take number x as the base then we are going to found a new company together where we clearly focus on embedded finance and then we build up Pedora. And of course, you know, as a founder, you never know where it goes. But I think in the end, that makes lots of sense to join the forces here because um, also from a um, partner perspective, you know, like there is just one contract. There are not two parties contracting with the partner. Um, it's way easier in the sales, in the, uh, uh, the entire, let's say, story to tell. Because, you know, again, it's a complex uh, model. And if we have one goal, to it, then it is, you know, making embedded finance easy because something complex is becoming easy with us. And so we should um, remove every, let's say, unnecessary uh, complexity. And one of these complexities, of course, is also having two companies um, if there is, if it can be one. And I would say this is also one of the reasons why we said, okay, let's join the forces here and uh, um, yeah, put together all what we have as well, you know, also in the sales uh, part of the business, not only on the tech side, on the compliance side, on the legal side, 
also on the sales side, because now we are a very powerful team. So in my team, uh, we have a couple of people now um, really focused on the verticals, uh, really focused on the solutions and the use cases. And I think that's uh, that's very beneficial for everyone. Yeah. It's all very complementary to each other rather than uh, yes. maybe some solutions or where's Doc um, or Pedora um, elbowing each other out is, is not the case because again, they're complementary to, to each other and you can go with a fully fledged solution now out to the market. Yes, it's one company and it's one brand. So we clearly focus purely on Doc as a brand and uh, we are going to fade out Pedora um, just to make sure that, you know, we have to raise one strong brand and not two somehow strong brands. So we need to put all the efforts and all the, um, let's say all the resources into one brand, which is Doc. Um, yeah, who's actually then, uh, let's say the, in my opinion, and that's what I want to achieve. I mean, you know, like I'm leading the marketing and I'm leading the sales. Um, if you want to launch such a solution, you should have at least talk to us, you know, um, there is no way around us. You can say yes or no to us, of course, but next to all the others, you should have at least uh, talked to us uh, and evaluating if we are the right partner for you. And I guarantee that's now the marketing part. Um, <laughs> we are the right partner for that. Yeah. Right. Great. So, so you just became the CCO. You guys are obviously now um, merging together. What's next for Doc Financial? Yeah, we are ramping up. I mean, you know, there are lots of things happening currently. We are uh, we are ramping up uh, our efforts. You know, there is event season up uh, upcoming, so uh, summer is somehow over, and uh, we have a couple of events uh, in front of us. But overall, I think you know, like we have to ramp up the entire organization. Uh, we have a couple of uh, customers already, of course, live from the Pedora side and Talk Financial as well. But um, as I also mentioned before, you know, we have a pretty nice pipeline um, where we have lots of partners either using the API way or uh, going the uh, no code way, so the white label solution. And honestly, it's really important to get them live. Um, because, you know, it's not about, uh, you know, signing a contract and you need to get them live. And that's what we said, as, as, I, as I said before, once you sign, you, you are live in whatever 30 days. And that's quite the challenge for us because yeah. uh, we are, I would say we are quite well booked right now, but we also need to deliver, of course. And, uh, but now, you know, that it's, everything is a little bit more, let's say, um, not easy, but stru structured because we are more than hundred people now. And yeah, so there is quite some um, power behind it. Yeah. It's a good problem to have, I guess, to have so many requests come in that you might not hit your ambitious timelines for 30 days, right? Yes. I mean, you know, it's, I don't want to be picky. You know, I don't want to say we don't, we do this, we do that. Um, but um, I think we have to prioritize. It's also for us, you know, payment in the end, it's about, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a transaction game and the volume game. And you can only scale once you have transactions and once you have volume. Everything else is nice, but that's not enough to have a business. And, you know, the, I think uh, the best the investor is, of course, a paying customer. That's in the end what we need to achieve. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, Claudio. Thanks very much for uh, being on the show. It's been uh, great to, yeah, first of all, learn a bit more about yourself, uh, Pedora, um, and now the new, uh, under the new flag of, of Doc Financial, but also about your insights into the banking as a service market. So definitely like the free waves of fintech that you described. I never thought about it that way. So I will uh, continue using that and look very smart to next guests coming on the show. So thanks for that. Um, and the best of luck with uh, everything that's going to come and uh, yeah, with the uh, event season uh, and with now growing uh, Dog Financial. Thank you very much for having me and happy to connect on LinkedIn or whatsoever, or just uh, send me an email whatsoever. Happy to chat about startups, fintech and uh, in general embedded finance uh, as, a, as, a, as a topic. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks.
Ciao. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.